0: This question deals with something that I suppose I I talked about a while back, and it was the idea of setting intentions. Uh, The questioner starts out, you've discussed the importance of setting intentions and also described how consciousness responds. In one example, you mentioned that you don't typically recommend people praying for patience as consciousness usually then would put them in situations that would force them to develop that trait. When it comes to working on the divine qualities, how should we best work with intentions to develop them and in the same time spare ourselves unnecessary experiences? That question made me laugh. And these divine qualities she's talking about In the first year of the Kriya Yoga Apprenticeship Program, we go through the Bhagavad Gita. And in Chapter 16, I believe, uh, at the very beginning, there's a list of what's called divine qualities. And it says those who are born endowed with these divine qualities are surely going to experience success in their path. And again, they're just things that we need to cultivate. So being born with them, just cultivate them. And then you'll be born with them in the next moment. But we're not going to get into those lists of qualities. We're going to focus on the content of the question here. Uh, and the reason this made me laugh is because I used to believe that it was possible to spare ourselves what I consider to be unnecessary experiences. And I don't think that's the case anymore. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that all experiences that we have that contribute to our learning are necessary. Now, in this, in this discussion that she's referring to, I said, I don't recommend people praying for patience because then conscious will usually put them in situations which will force them to develop that trait. Well, if you need to develop patience, by all means, pray for it and then be willing to go through whatever experiences are brought to you so that you are able to f- fully understand what patience means. And some of those experiences will be easy, just "naha" moment or um, a simple knowing of what is required. Uh, for people who are particularly stubborn, and I count myself among them, some things you only learn the hard way because of being unconscious in certain areas of your life or resistant to learning or changing and growing. And if you need to, if you need to grow and you're stubborn, well, just learn to go with the grace that brings you the experiences to help you grow. If you participated in the Kriya Yoga um, Solstice retreat that we did. Um, Isha Das, uh, Craig Bullock, he talked about something called dark grace. He talked about there's dark grace as opposed to what we might typically consider to be just grace. And we often think of grace as sort of being freed from adversity or something happening that was beyond our control that allowed us to um, more fully experience the reality of spirit or just, again, relieved us of a burden. That's how many people think of grace. Well, he clarified or categorized something called dark grace, which is when something happens to you that's profoundly unpleasant, but in the end leaves you freer, clearer, with more understanding, with more wisdom. And the example he gave was, um, I think it was his stepson, that his stepson was very young and um, they live in New York. So they had gotten a lot of snow at one point in time. And for some reason, his stepson got it in his mind um, that he was going to, jump off a really high point into snow and make snow angels for his two little sisters. And he jumped and he landed in the snow, but something went wrong and um, he broke his neck, I believe. And so he became a quadriplegic. And he, I think he was in a coma for a while. And uh, the way Isha das told the story was that he woke up And he said, uh, his son said three things. Uh, The first one was something like, um, I'm hungry. Can I have some pizza? (laughs) (laughs) Because we hadn't eaten for a while. Uh, And then one of the next things he had said was um, something like, don't feel sorry for me. There must have been a reason. Uh, God wanted me to be paralyzed. And, um, from what I understand, he lives a rich and full life. He's a, is he a director, a play director? So he's involved something within the arts, but he's lived a rich and full life. Um, and the family and the son learned immensely from this. And so, uh, Craig Bullock referred to this as dark grace. And I can think of many things in my life that at the time I would have fought tooth and nail to avoid. I I wouldn't want to have experienced it. And I remember oftentimes saying, you know, there's other ways I could learn this. Like I knew I was learning something, but I was, um, I would get so upset thinking, why would I have to go through this experience? Surely there has to be an easy way to learn this. And that persisted while I was going through the difficulty. But once the understanding came, And once I could look back and I could see the difference between who I was then and who this personality is now, I recognize that there's no way I could have learned that any other way. And there is a sense of gratefulness for it. Um, So that's what we call dark grace, but it's still grace. And this is often why um, the goddess Kali in the Hindu tradition, she's, described as being black and a long bloody tongue and like skulls and dismembered arms for her skirt. I mean it's it's meant to paint this horribly gruesome picture. But she is the divine mother. And if you are caught up in the sense that you are the body, you are the personality, if you you are caught up in the feeling that you are essentially what's going to pass away and change, because that's the nature of reality, of course, Kali is going to seem hideous and ugly and overwhelming and something to avoid. But if you can see through the reality of change, Kali becomes beautiful. Kali becomes the divine mother that Yogananda um, spoke of, because everything that she does that seems so horrendous to the body-centered person, uh, the, the egocentric person, is, is just a gift to one who's wanting to move beyond that. And that's, that's not something that's easily understood or perceived, uh, even imagined but when people go through Kali-like experiences, experiences of destruction, experiences of utter loss and, and, and um, difficulty, well, if they can stay with it and they get through the other side, they recognize that all the stuff that they were so attached to was just bogging them down. All the stuff they thought was so important that it was stressing them out to see it destroyed was nothing at all. And this is a radical, radically different way to live than how most people live. So I don't expect hardly anyone to understand this until they've gone through something like it. Um, but as one's faith improves through these kinds of things and we have to let it, trust it somehow, and it's not easy, well, then we start to recognize uh, the beauty of um, dark grace. And whether it's coincidence Whether it's truth, I don't know, and you've heard me talk about it before, Uh, right before I began practicing Kriya Yoga, I'd always had an interest in sort of alternative states of consciousness, meditation, religion, spirituality from a very young age. And I remember reading a book one time that essentially said, well, if you want to figure it all out, what you have to do is you have to ask to be given your karma all at once. Just get it over with. And it went on to say that, and I was, I was definitely a teenager when, when I read this, it went on to say that it's going to be terrible because you're going to get every experience just laid on you, smashed into you all at once. But once you get through it, it's over. And then you're free. And in my mind, I thought, well, freedom is more important than that temporary horrific suffering that's described. Little did I know <laughs> what that could be like. But I was young and um, enthusiastic and thought I was immortal and could handle anything. Uh, Well, the real me is, of course, just like the real you is uh, as well. But um, I remember very seriously spending a lot of time uh, contemplating that until one day it was near uh, a milestone birthday. I said, I don't care. I want it all. Just get it over with. Just get it over with. And I meant it. (laughs) And again, I don't don't know whether it was coincidence, whether I was being dramatic or silly, but um, some of the things that happen in life, when I look back now, I attribute to that uh, request. (laughs) Again, it's probably just um, coincidence. But again, looking back, could I have learned it any other way? I don't think so. Uh, Could I have learned patience the way I I had? Could I have learned patience in the way that uh, any other way? Probably not. Could I have learned compassion in any other way? Probably not. Could I have learned um, the ability to persevere, to do my best to stay strong, uh, no matter what came? Probably not. Um, And in many spiritual texts, There will often be statements like, for yogis, um, difficulty and suffering is the highest blessing, because it's through that that you learn what's real. And I don't mean to get too heavy on you, but... And, and I don't. I don't also mean to. I don't mean to say that you shouldn't appreciate the light grace within your life, the beauty within your life, because that's there too. And too often, it's common in yogis. they're, they're sort of extreme one way or the other. Now they go too light or they go too dark, and we have to be in the middle. Um, we have to learn to be present in the moment. So if in the moment the sun is shining. There's hummingbirds flying through your garden. You can see the new peppers coming on, or you can see the sunflowers getting ready to bloom. And there's the smell of uh, fresh cut grass in the air. It's a beautiful evening. Well, don't sit there and think, well, you know, 50% of the world is suffering in poverty and dying of some disease. Just be there in that moment. Appreciate that light grace. Be present with the infinite as it is now. In a sense of light grace. And then during those times when there's stress and you're being challenged to grow, to really put in your ability to practice contentment, harmlessness, non-possessiveness, non-attachment, purity, and so on. Well, then you say, well, right now consciousness is about, um, this is what it's now I'm supposed to be training to really embody these things in times when it's not easy. You don't say, well, gee, I wish I could go back to the previous moment. And what happens is you learn that you can handle any moment, even when you fail, even when you crash and burn while well, you're still around, mostly. Uh, so you made it through. So, you know, you can handle it one way or the other. You know, you can persist. Um, when you're in the moments of peace and clarity and light, you've learned to let go of attachment to past traumas and difficulties and you're present. And you're full. And in every moment, you are full. You are full in the moments of dark grace. You are full in the moments of light grace. And you do your best to, again, act appropriately in each of those moments. You know, sometimes um, I'm with people who are going through really difficult experiences. Um, I was with a woman who was recently diagnosed um, with an incurable form of lymphoma recently. Uh, And I sat with her and I talked to her and that's what was appropriate in that moment of, of difficulty. Another moment, I found myself, uh, in a group of people on the river that didn't, they were living it up, you know, definitely the upper echelon of wealthy people, at least in, in my community, weren't caring about anything, you know, drinking their beer, enjoying the sunshine, um eating some chicken wings and rather than throwing them away somewhere, they think they just throw them off into the river. You know, it's like, <laughs> I had to sit back and I was like, wow, this is like Greco Roman times with the uh, you know, the, the wealthy elite, how they would live lavishly. And uh, well, I wasn't there very long, but while I was there for 20 minutes or so, I just allowed myself to be in that experience. <laughs> And at that time, I was not thinking about the woman with lymphoma or some other difficult things that are going on in the world uh, these days. Um, So as yogis, we have to remember that we are learning to be present in every moment. And if that moment requires grieving, sorrow, compassion, then that's what we do. And we don't wish for anything else because that is the experience of the infinite, of the divine. When we are in moments where it's just a nice day and the sun is shining, we can go for a run or we can um, just sit on the porch and watch the birds. Even if even if other things aren't perfect in our life, if we can't do anything about those other things at that time, don't worry about it. Just enjoy uh, the clarity of what is there now. So this is what? It's an expression of the practice of non-attachment. Because you're not being attached to any particular situation or circumstance. And then you do, at least this has been my experience so far. Um, I say so far because as the years have gone on, uh, what I have potentially understood does seem to shift as time goes. And I think that's just the way it is. As long as you are alive, at least that's the way it's been described to me, even from people who've been on this path 20, 30, 40 years longer than I have Um, but this is the practice of non-attachment because you are learning to be in the moment and appropriate to every moment. And then you feel like your cup is full because in every moment it's full. I wish I had words to describe that better. Uh, but in the sorrow, it's full. In the joy, it's full. In the, the peaceful neutrality, it's full. And then it makes it easier for you to uh, really recognize the eternal aspect of yourself and abide in that because you are able to perceive, observe, and recognize the rise and fall of nature. So we know that there's spirit in nature. Spirit, the eternal, infinite, persistent uh, state, which is unchangeable, never goes away. It's always there. It's just covered up by things from time to time, or at least we identify with those things. But then there's the changeable, which is the body, which will, was a baby and will eventually turn into dust, or the relationship that was so full of love and light and richness, which turns into maybe just companionship as the years go on, um, which is your idealism, which is there when you're younger, that turns into quiet um surrender when you're older they're all they're all they're not separate they're all part of the same thing but they're just different stages and all those things change but underneath all of that is the the self and yoga chitta vritti naroda from yoga sutras yoga is the ending or the pulling away from the fluctuations the changes in consciousness or in the mind and then the seer what you truly are abides in its own nature And that is yoga practice. That is what yoga is. The techniques, the philosophy, the lifestyle, it is all to contribute to that realization. So the beginning of the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali tells you exactly what the deal is. All the rest of it is elaboration on um, how. Um, And then you engage it. And in time, you recognize the truth of it that yoga is abiding as the self. And part of yoga practice is not just abiding as the self. It's it's figuring out, well, what is the self? Is the self this body that changes and dies? Is it this personality that's different than it was when I was 17? Is it, um, you know, what is the self? And And if you can really spend time contemplating that, eventually you start to recognize and see the stuff that you're not, the, the stuff which is temporal, really. And then you begin to wonder, well, okay, well, what is, what is it that has persisted through all of this? And then you start contemplating that. And it's subtle and it's slippery. It's like picking up a, a fish out of a stream. You can see it and you try to grab and it gets right out of your hands. And you got to like devise ways of holding on to it. And that, that is different for every fish in every stream. So it's not going to be the same for everyone. That's what I mean to say there. And once you get a hold of it, then you figure out how to hold on to it. And you can't tell anyone else how to hold on to it either. You can give some ideas, but you can't tell anyone else how to hold on on to it. Um, And your Kriya Pranayama, chanting through the chakras, contemplating the sutras, um, living in accord with the yamas and niyamas, where the 16 qualities listed in the Bhagavad Gita, all that is creating the structure to make it easier and easier and easier for this to happen. It's like training, going to the gym. You want to participate in a sport, well, you go to the gym so that you get all the right muscles and your heart conditioned so that you can actually go do the sport. So the sport of yoga is abiding as the self. That's the doing of it, the, the experience, the moment-by-moment the moment, um, practice. That's what it really is. All the other stuff, the Kriya Pranayama, all the stuff that you do is the training which gives you the strength to do it. That's what we always have to remember. This episode of the Kriya Yoga podcast was made possible by donations from Kriya Yoga apprenticeship students and supporters of our Patreon community at www.patreon.com forward slash Kriya Yoga.